Welcome to Chalk Talk, a brand new podcast of real talk for real educators. We are your hosts, Kay and Steph. Our purpose for this podcast is to bring together educators to explore and discuss relevant and timely educational issues that are at the forefront. And we hope to do so with a hint of humor and a little bit of levity. And just as a, just so everybody knows, all thoughts and ideas expressed during this podcast are solely our own and have no association with anyone we work for. One of the things we're going to do each time is just do a little bit of housekeeping or updates, current event type things that have happened. So today we just wanted to touch a little bit on President-elect Biden's choice for education secretary, Miguel Cardona, and I really hope I'm saying that name correctly. <laughs> um, and one of the things that, you know, we we as educators in the public school system are very excited about is the fact that um, Mr. C Dr. Cardona has an elementary and secondary public education background. He's been a teacher, a principal, an assistant superintendent. He's also currently um, the statewide leader in Connecticut, which is where he's done most of his other public school service as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know about UK, but I'm just kind of excited that uh, we actually have someone in the White House now who has some public school education. Um, in his background as a student, as a teacher, as a leader. Um, and I have high hopes that he will be able to um, kind of think a little bit differently about education and grow uh, that public school education and that we have in our in our country and and work his magic, so to speak. I I couldn't agree more. And what I'm super hopeful about and I guess I was thrilled um, we're seeing we're seeing an uh, increase in the diversity of of president-elect's cabinet the folks that he's choosing he's he's choosing um, qualified individuals such as uh, soon to be secretary Cardona who has public school experience and is a reflection of a reflection of our growing uh, diversity in our population. So I, I'm really hopeful that he'll be able to see all of those lenses from from educator, uh, student. He you know was a student in the public school systems, um, all the way up to you know being the education secretary of Connecticut. So welcome aboard. Mr. <laughs> and I'm assuming too we'll talk more about you know president soon to be President Biden's um, you know hopes for education. I know he's talked a little bit about free tuition, college tuition for families under a certain price point, and so I'm sure we'll 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 talk more about that in this podcast as as we learn more and as we know more about his plans and all of those things moving forward. Also, I think so. I think so. And. So typically in this podcast, as Steph said, we'll cover some housekeeping, some hot topics, some things that are on the minds of educators today. Uh, and then we'll move into an interview section, which brings up our main topic. And our main topic today is <laughs> the main topic that has been, our <laughs> not by choice, our topic uh, for the last almost year now, and that's been COVID. We, we wanted to take some time to get honest about COVID and get insights and hear those unique insights from two regional educators who were so awesome to say yes to our pleas of would you help us kick off our inaugural Chalk Talk 
podcast. Yeah, so we'll hear from them in just a minute. But I, you know, it's been interesting as a as a former teacher and then a former curriculum director, and now mm-hmm. working with multiple districts and seeing how those districts are working through COVID. And I don't want to say dealing with COVID because it makes it sound so negative because districts really have taken the bull by the horns and done some amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that struck me is when I chose to be an educator, I chose that career path because I wanted to be in the classroom with students. I wanted to, you know, uh, just be there every day. I wanted to have that type of communication with my colleagues, um, that collaboration in person. Um, I never in a million years as a teacher planned when I chose that career to be virtual and not only just be virtual, but do it on a whim without a ton of training. I know districts really tried hard to give their teachers training, but it was sort of this snap um, change that we had to do. And then even with the summer, there was so much unknown that it was still something that, so this, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of careers are going through a lot right now Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want to really be any of them either. Um, but as, a, as an educator, I just think we've been asked to do things we were never trained to do and never intended to do um, when, we, when we made this career path choice. Absolutely. And so I think our, our listeners will enjoy hearing these, um, this variety of experiences. And, you know, we can always add our views in, as you said, you know, working with multiple school districts. And we're just really grateful to, to have our guests here today on Chalk Talk. Welcome to our inaugural Chalk Talk. I'm Kay Henriksen. And I'm Steph Wagner. Yes. And we, today's topic is going to be teaching during COVID. We've been doing it for, oh boy, a good nine months now. And we have two wonderful uh, volunteers or voluntolds, I'm not really sure <laughs> what we have uh, for guests today to share some pretty unique perspectives on their experiences during teaching during COVID. So I think what we'll do is if we could have Sheila introduce yourself and then we'll have Brandon introduce yourself and then we'll ask you each some questions. Thanks, Kay um, and Steph. Thanks for having me today. I uh, am an educator in Iowa. I've been in education coming up on almost 20 years, and uh, I have served in a variety of roles uh, from an associate in the classroom all the way to a high school principal. So um, I've got a variety of experiences uh, in my toolkit, and I have been both an administrator and currently a teacher during COVID. Wonderful, thank you for being here, Sheila. And Brandon. Hi, thanks again uh, for having me as well. I'm honored to be part of the first inaugural uh, podcast. Um, my name is Brandon. Um, I am currently a uh, assistant principal at a two through five elementary building. Um, I have also spent four years as a fourth grade teacher and three years as a sixth grade teacher. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. And thank you just, I know Sheila right now, you're working in a pretty decent sized district, um, upwards of 10,000 students. Is that still accurate? Correct. And, Brand, and Brandon, you're in a little bit smaller of a district. Um, I don't, can you, what's, our, what's your total student population? Uh, right around 1,700. Okay, so big and small, um, rural and 
suburban, I guess we would consider probably where Sheila works. So just various perspectives as we talk about um, what teaching during COVID has, or teaching and leading during COVID has been like. So I will just get us started with the first question and we'll see where that takes us. But what has been the most challenging about teaching and leading during COVID? Why don't we start with uh, Brandon? You wanna start? Sure, um, I would say, uh, the biggest challenge has been the constant need to adjust, um, whether it's from the administration standpoint, um, the teachers, the students, and even the families at home. Um, with our, our school adapted a like kind of a 50-50 model where students could choose whether they wanted to be virtual students or face-to-face -face students. Um, the virtual learning has its own problems going forward and the face-to-face -face has their um, issues as well. One of the things that really comes to mind for me for the face-to-face -face students, um, when there is a positive case within the building and we knew it was inevitable from the beginning, um, there's our, our quarantine policies and procedures in place. Um, if a student or staff member, any, any person that works within the building should happen to test positive, um, we have a list of students that need to quarantine that are considered close contacts to that student. Well, if that happens, in the matter of you know minutes, we have to kind of isolate those students and make sure that they're not elsewhere within the building, but also um, get their supplies ready to go home, call their parents for a pickup, um, get teachers ready to immediately become virtual uh, teachers instead of face-to-face -face teachers, and just make all of those things run just at the drop of a hat. And so that's um, one of the things that has been a huge challenge with face-to-face -face learning and Another thing to go along with that then is, is from the administration standpoint, standpoint is finding people to substitute for those that, that are out on quarantine. Um, there's substitute shortages in our area and a lot of times the coverage comes from within the building. Um, the good news is our staff has been uh, amazing stepping up to the plate and just saying, yep, I can do that. Yes, I can do this. I'll go wherever you want me. Um, so the challenges, and there are many of them, has really brought out kind of the best in, in a lot of our people. That's awesome. Thank you. Sheila? Brandon, and I would agree with everything you just said. I think one of the things I've noticed both as a leader and a teacher um, during COVID, if I think back to March when this all started, uh, one of the biggest um, concerns we had was how are we gonna communicate? What does communication look like with staff? with students, with the community, and how do we do it in an effective time and in real time? Because things were changing so quickly and so often, um, you really needed to step up your ability to communicate with all the invested parties. And that still continues today. How, how are we communicating with each other internally? How are we communicating externally? And, and what are we communicating? Uh, when this first started, there was a lot of, I don't know the answer to that. And nobody knew the answer to that, right? Um, no one's been in that pandemic. So when we would um, meet with the state on a, on a daily basis, uh, then our admin team would then meet and discuss of the information that we've received, what needs to go out now and what perhaps can we sit on until we have more information. So um, sifting through all the information that comes your way as a teacher and as an administrator, um, and then trying to decide 
what's best for students? How do we communicate that out? How will it affect them? And, and trying to get ahead of it um, to this day is almost impossible, right? You know, one day a kid might want to go to school online and the next day, you know, they're ready, maybe they're ready to go back into the classroom or maybe vice versa. And how do we work through that communication process to make sure that everyone is learning in an environment to the best of their ability. So I would say communication is one of the key things that was a big challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. You've outlined a lot of, you know, what I think uh, our listeners, I hope, um, are also going to be thinking, oh yes, you know, you nailed it on the head. Uh, agree, 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 agree. As far as the most challenging, I think taking those challenges and, and Brandon, you alluded to it a little bit, you know, taking those challenges and having experiences, what, how have some of those experiences risen to be celebrations in COVID uh, during this time? So Sheila, if you want to take this one, lead this off. Absolutely. Um, I think there are many. Um, if we end up going back and doing school the way we did before this, shame on us. We have learned to do things differently and to be honest, better in many ways. What I mostly have noticed is that our students have elevated themselves to the position where they are owning their own learning and mostly because they're forced to do so. Um, those who are owning their learning are being successful whether they're in the classroom or online. Those who are choosing not to, and uh, like the old spoon-fed method, uh, will be left behind. And that's unfortunate. But it has, I would say, the majority of the students that I have the honor to work with have owned their own learning, and that is a silver lining. The other thing that I think is a celebration in an odd kind of way. This has highlighted, this, this time period in our world has highlighted inequities that would not have been highlighted had this not happened. And so we're having real conversations about real issues and thinking through how do we make this an equitable learning environment for all. That is awesome. <laughs> deep, deep thoughts. And yes, yeah, celebrations come in all, all shapes and, and we're not really sure what are celebrations, but they end up being celebrations. How about for you? What's some, uh, Brandon, what, what have some of your challenges, how have they risen to uh, turn out to be celebrations after all? Yeah, Sheila, I really like what you said about some of the inequities and highlighting them um, through this process. And, and you really hit it when you said that we would have probably not have ever noticed it or acknowledged it without this. Um, one of the celebrations that, that I really picked out is that our students and our teachers are just capable of so much more than we thought that they were. Um, I mentioned that I work in a, a two through five building and our fourth and fifth graders generally got the, the technology instruction, the learning, the home row, the keyboarding, the tips and tricks of the tech world. Um, now, all of a sudden, our, our youngest students are 4K or kindergarten, first grade, second grade, were thrust into it, and they just took off with it. And things that we didn't think they were capable of, we were so worried, like, 
How are we going to communicate this? How are we ever going to make sure that these students are signing on at the right time every day and making sure that they're fulfilling their paperwork? And, and you know, they are. I, I compare it to um, that parent that's nervous about their, their kid riding a bike without their training wheels for the first time. Um, but all of a sudden you, you rip them off and, and there they go. And that's what we saw. We were nervous for them, expectedly, um, but they just have really flourished um, since the start of this whole process. That's awesome. That is so great. Um, and Sheila, you kind of alluded a little to this last question, um, but just you and what you said was, you know, if we do education like we have done in the past, shame on us. So how do both of you see education changing due to this time frame and due to COVID? Or how do you hope to see education changing might be another way to word that. I think it really, I think it really opens up possibilities for the, for the future. Um, one of the things that we had started doing is um, because of the necessity is, is hosting our IEP meetings um, through a Zoom and virtually. And it's what, what we found is it's just easier to get everyone together, everyone that needs to be together um, on a Zoom call rather than um, hoping that uh, every parent, every teacher and every um, LEA can be in the same spot at the same time. Um, it, it really helped out making sure that we can make that happen. And that's one of the things that we're planning on using going forward. Um, parent-teacher conferences as well. We were nervous about the turnout of our parent-teacher conferences. And once again, uh, the people surprised us. And this time it was the parents. They, they showed up. Um, we were worried about them knowing how and learning how to log into a, a Zoom or a Google Meet, um, or if they're not capable of doing that, calling in and knowing how to do that. And they really surprised us. And, and our, our numbers were just as high as they were if we were face-to-face. -face. Um, another possibility that I see, especially for the secondary, is um, uh, like distance learning. Uh, imagine the courses that's, that high school students might be able to take. It might not be face-to-face -face in their own building, but outreach um, to anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country from, from a, a, a teacher virtually. You're here, Brandon. Um, Sheila, any other things you hope or think will happen? You know, I, I hope we think of education globally. Um, and I, I say that simply because some of the students that I have who struggle with face-to-face -face learning for whatever reason, and here's a quote from a student. Hey, Mrs. Hudson, you know what I like about virtual learning? I can't get sent to the office because there's nobody to fight with. Absolutely. And I'm forced to focus because I have nothing else to do. So, you know, I hope we consider a menu of options for students who, for whom traditional learning may not be their cup of tea and whom we've seen since March or since August flourish in this environment. I would hate to pull the carpet out from underneath them and not have this opportunity for them going forward. Amen. I think Amen. that's one of the things I've heard the most since I work with multiple districts of multiple sizes is some of those students who were either struggling for whatever reason, behaviorally or academically, um, are they've teachers have seen just grow to flourish in ways that they knew were possible, but they weren't reaching in that, I'll use the word traditional, but in that traditional um, setting. So I agree. I hope that we don't just 
jump right back into every kid face to face um, because that's what in the past has has worked when we now know that it didn't work for every kid. And in our heart of hearts, we probably knew that anyways. Um, but since we were forced, this was forced upon teachers and administrators. Now we can now we can think about how we might maintain some of that for our students. We're an industry of evidence, right? Evidence and artifacts and proof and data. And I think, you know, the idea of maybe should we offer something virtually for our kids who are struggling in a brick and mortar school, we might think of that, but we have evidence and we have some data. We've actually seen it happen for some of our populations where they have succeeded. So it will be it will be very exciting to see what, what schools can do for their kids um, through all of this, through all of this. Well, thank you to all of our educators, especially our, our two guests today. And just a huge shout out to all of you who are learning by fire hose, doing the best that you possibly can for your kids. We know it, you know it, I hope. Parents know it, your leaders know it, and we just appreciate everything that you are doing. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. So as we wrap up, that's our time for today, and we wanna thank you for sharing your time with us and by listening and tuning in. And as we grow this little podcast into what you know, you'd like to see in it, we have a couple of ways for you to touch base with us. So you can share with us your ideas or your thoughts around topics and things like that on, at our email address, which is edu-chalk-talk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or you can find us uh, at Facebook group as well. The Facebook group is private, so you will have to ask to join, mm -hmm. um, but we will let you in when we get that request. We're so also we... on Instagram stuff. Oh, that's right. Yes, thank you. We are on Instagram for edu chalk talk, E-D-U chalk talk. So any way you'd like to reach out to us, um, again, we would like to make this uh, something that you um, look forward to and topics that you are interested in learning more about and discussing. So we hope to hear from you soon. Until then, keep learning. And keep leading. <laughs>